If that time of worship didn't bless you, your blesser's broken. And I want to thank Nicole and the team. They, they always do a great job, but I threw a bunch of stuff at them this morning. Yeah. Appreciate all of them so much. Just a few reminders uh, before we get into the message this morning. Obviously, next week is Resurrection Sunday, and we're looking forward to that. Um, and then the following Sunday, the first Sunday of April, is our sixth anniversary as a church. And that's, uh, we're coming down to where it may be, I'm not going to be hard and fast on this, but it may be the last anniversary we spend here, maybe, we'll see how things go, yeah. Uh, in a couple weeks, the uh, future home of the Oasis sign will be going up over there on Greenfield and, and Queen Creek. In fact, I was just over there walking around on that land this morning before I came to church and just thanking God for it. Um, we'll be sharing with you more exciting things as we, as we find out about them. And then uh, the following Sunday in April, April the 10th, is our next potluck. And we want all of you to be a part of that as we fellowship together as a church family. And then uh, the following weekend, there's going to be a small group of us who are going to be in Mexico uh, ministering down there as you all minister uh, and worship up here. In fact, uh, I'd like to meet with the group that is going to go with us to Mexico just for a few minutes in the hallway outside here. You can just use one of these doors uh, after the service for just a few few minutes. And then just a couple other things. Uh, Toby wanted me to announce that the park ministry for the homeless folks uh, is in need of donations again. And so he's... Uh, created this nice little list of things that they could use in the park ministry, and he's placed them out there at that table out there in the lobby. So uh, please pick one of those up if you could help out our park ministry. Uh, I know that they would appreciate it, and certainly the homeless folks would appreciate that. Speaking of another way for our church uh, to be generous uh, and giving, uh, Judy has set up a table over on this side. Uh, to give you folks an idea of what the church down in Mexico could use as far as items that we're going to be taking down with us in about a month. And so those items are listed over there too, and she's got a nice display out there. In fact, one of the really cool pictures that she has is, is this little guy who's getting his little Christmas bag. Remember when you guys donated the clothes and stuff to them, and he's actually getting those clothes and stuff, and so you can see some of the pictures and some of the, the church building that's gone up and the roof and everything that you guys uh, have been able to be a part of down there uh, in Mexicali. So please get out there, check some things out. Um, our folks that lead these ministries, they put a lot of time and effort into that, and we couldn't do all the ministry that we do uh, here at the Oasis, without having the great leaders that we do. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we continue through our series in 1 Thessalonians, we are in this passage of Scripture where Paul has been preparing the Thessalonian Christians for afflictions. He's been saying, look, pressures in life are going to come. And here's how you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, can be prepared for the pressures of life. 
how we can stand up to them and stand against them and have the strength to deal with the trials and tribulations of life. Because Paul said, we are destined for this. Uh, Afflictions are not accidents in our life. They are appointments by God designed to strengthen us, to grow us, to stretch us, to make us stronger so that when life and whatever happens in life comes, we can stand up to it instead of letting life get the best of us. And then Paul, last week we looked at the fact that Paul wanted to prepare them and us for the return of the Lord. And and one day we're going to stand before our Lord. And and what do we want that to look like? What condition do we want our spiritual life to be in when God takes us home or when the Lord comes back? And so he shared with the Thessalonians those truths last week. But this week, he wanted to prepare the Thessalonians and us for something else. And that is preparing us to live before those that do not have a relationship with God. Those, in a sense, outside the church who are always sort of looking at Christians or looking at those who go to church on a faithful basis and looking at our life and seeing something, observing something. Because whether we realize it or not, or are conscious of it all the time or not, people are always watching the way you and I live, just like we watch other people, and the way they live their lives. And so I want to begin sort of at the end of the passage we're going to look at this morning, and then go back and just share a couple major things that God showed me, and wanted me, I think, to share with all of you this morning. Notice in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that once Paul has sort of gotten done uh, sharing with them everything, he then says this, in this way, in other words, living this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders. That's just, again, another word to talk about unbelievers or people who don't have a relationship with God or claim not to know God or to be outside the church. He said, in this way, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ can live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. A couple of things there. The word decent is a key word. It's a word that speaks about living a beautiful life. Living an attractive life. Living a life that, that has appeal to it. Living in such a way that we create sort of a thirst and a hunger in others for that kind of life. In fact, the way I wrote it down was to live in such a way that others desire the kind of life that I'm living. That's what Paul's saying. And that's why he's going to share what he shares with the Thessalonians and with us today. Because part of our responsibility when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and claim to be followers of His is that God expects us then why He keeps us in the world and doesn't zap us to heaven the moment we accept Him as our Savior is because He wants our life on this earth as long as we are alive to make a positive impact and influence on others. And he wants us to live at such a level that other people desire the kind of life that we're living. Think about that. That's sort of sobering. How many people do you think look at your life and my life 
and say, I want that kind of life? Or do they go, I don't want any parts of that. And then even think, how many other Christians do you know? How many other people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ do you know that you would say, I admire the way they live. Their life has an appeal to it. It it has an attraction to it. There's a, a beauty there. See, God wants us to live that way. That's what it means to live a decent life before those outside. Jesus lived that kind of life and he wants his followers to do the same. To live in such a way while Jesus was on earth that that his life attracted people. It's why he could come up to a group of fishermen and say, follow me. And they left their livelihoods and their nets and everything and they followed Jesus because there was something about him and what he offered them and, and the way he lived his life that was attractive and beautiful and appealing and they wanted it. So often we think as Christians that evangelism and reaching people who don't know God is about us going out and sharing the gospel. And that's certainly part of it, but there's a whole other side to that. And that is that that even maybe before or while or during or even after we would share something with them, that our life is living in such a way that we communicate, uh, again, uh, an attractiveness by the way that we live our lives, that, that they even approach us and go, I want what you have. Can you tell me how to have that? How often does that happen in our lives? That's what Paul wants to talk about today. And then he goes on to say, I want you to live in such a way that you will live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. The words not be in need mean to live again in such a way that we are living as if we're not missing something or missing out on something. I mean, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if we're truly following Jesus Christ, we understand we're not going to miss out on anything that is of greatest worth and value. We may miss out on things, and, and we obviously will. But whatever we miss out on to follow Jesus Christ isn't going to be of greater worth and value than simply following Jesus every day. And yet again, too many of us as Christians, the way we live our lives, it's as if, yeah, we have Jesus. I have God in my life, but I'm always living my life as if I need to grasp a hold of and gather other things and and other situations and circumstances because I'm just not quite fulfilled yet or satisfied yet or content in God. Psalm 23 verse 1 doesn't ring true sometimes in our lives. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or other translations say, I shall not want. I won't be in need. I I won't be living my life as if I'm missing out on something. Because we've sort of created even in our world 
through generations of human beings living on the earth, that somehow we, we as human beings and even Christians have bought into, I, I, I'm going to try to grab a hold of everything and not miss out on anything. It's why the whole concept of even multitasking and trying to do as much as we can at the same time, because we're so afraid even as Christians that somehow we're going to miss out on something. It, it's sort of the environment that, that even our spiritual enemy creates because he wants to get us distracted. And it's almost like following Jesus Christ is not enough. If I follow him, but what about that? And what we have to realize is that what Paul is sharing with us here is Jesus Christ will give us everything that we ever wanted or needed. He will satisfy the longings of our soul like no one or nothing else can. We won't miss out on anything if we just focus on Jesus every day. And so Paul says, in this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. Now let's go back then to those first three words of that. In this way. One of the things that Paul wants to share with followers of Jesus Christ is there's a very certain precise way to live. In other words, it's not, well, whatever way I, I want to. Or whatever way other people say I should live. That's going to be it. No. Paul's going to say, that will never achieve in our life this attractive, appealing, living in such a way that others will want what we have and how we live if we just try to figure it out on our own. God has given us in his word a very precise way to live in order to, first of all, experience his abundant life, life at the highest quality of living, and to live in such a way that other people who don't know God like we do would go, I want that kind of life. I want to experience that kind of joy and peace. I want to have that kind of self-control in my life. You see, but Paul says, then we need to basically lock in to a certain way of living. It's why then if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 4, the first couple verses, Paul says, we wrote to you brothers and sisters and we asked you in the Lord that you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God. There's a certain way of living that Christians must live if we are to achieve abundant life and to be able to, in a sense, achieve in our life a life that others will be attracted to, that it will have some kind of appeal to it, you see. And that's why then he goes on in verse 3 to say, this is God's will. Another way you could, and I could translate the word will when we talk about it in link to God, is God's best. And we talked about that last week. How God wants us to get to a place where we can decide what's best in our life. 
as we choose between different things and we be able to figure out with God's help, what's the value of these things? Because many times in our life, even as Christians, it's not deciding as we make choices in our life between what's good and bad. That's pretty self-evident. And hopefully most of the time we'll choose what's good over what's bad. But sometimes it's a lot harder to choose between two good things. And we only have time and energy and effort and all of that for for one. So I have to learn to figure out what's the better choice. If I have these two things and I, I can only have time to do one, what's the best one for me? Well, that's why then Paul picks up on that in verse 3 and he says, and this is God's will. This is God's best. This is the way you and I in this specific, precise way, can not only live the abundant life and experience abundant living, not only obtaining his salvation and deliverance and forgiveness of sins, but living as in, in the highest quality of level possible. But this is how we can also achieve this kind of life that Paul's talking about before unbelievers. So that people who don't know God, or even other Christians, who maybe are walking out of fellowship with God, or maybe they're... Baby Christians, they haven't been Christians very long, would go, I want that kind of life. I want to grow up to be that kind of a Christian. I want to have that kind of attitude every day towards life. I I want to have that kind of a life. So Paul's saying, then are we willing to buy into the fact that that only comes God's way? Keep your finger there in 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to come back there. But I want to take you to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, for just a few moments. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. As I was growing up in the church, and even in my days where studying for ministry and and early on, I always heard Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, applied to salvation. That's how most Christians and most Bible teachers and pastors, that's how they approach these two verses. That these were always talking about salvation. And the more I studied this and the more I looked at this, I realized that though you may be able to apply this and these verses to salvation, that really what Jesus is talking about here is not salvation. He's talking about you and I as believers experiencing abundant living the kind of life that even again is attractive and appealing to others and so look at that these verses from this perspective rather than from salvation perspective when jesus says enter through the narrow gate the closely defined way that god has for us to travel because the gate is wide And the way is spacious that leads to destruction. It speaks about, it's very spread out over a large area. Way out there. Lots of room on the way to destruction. And and the word destruction doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean physically destroyed. It's a word in the original language that speaks about the experience of loss, of ruin, of misery, of pain. That's what the word destruction means. See, from God's perspective, that's destruction. Whenever you and I make choices and choose to live a certain way that ends up in pain, 
pain that we brought on ourselves because we didn't do it God's way. We did it our way or someone else's way. We ended up suffering loss rather than gain. We ended up in misery rather than, you know, joy. Because again, we chose the really broad way that everyone else is doing it that way. So I guess I'll choose to do it too. But notice what Jesus goes on to say. There are many who enter that way. Multitudes is what the word means. Many. So many people. But notice he says the gate is narrow, verse 14, and the way is difficult. The word difficult means, literally, precise, rigid, rigorous. And notice Jesus goes on to say, it is this very narrow way that leads to life. Not to salvation, because it's not talking about salvation. He's talking about life. The highest quality of life, abundant life, the kind of life that Paul then talks about that becomes a decent life, an attractive, appealing life, living in such a way that others desire the kind of life that we are living. Jesus says, It's not spread out over a large area. It's a very precise way of living. That's why, again, Paul said in verse 12 of chapter 4, in this way. And then Jesus goes on to say, and there are few who find it. In fact, in the original language, the word few means a puny number. And I'm sure that broke Jesus' heart when he said it. Because Jesus said, I have come that they might have not just salvation, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants his followers not just to have salvation, not just to have deliverance from sin and, and, and forgiveness of sin. He wants us to be able, even on this broken world and fallen earth, to experience life at the highest level possible. And yet he says, There's going to be, relatively speaking, a few number of followers that ever find what they're searching for. Why? Not because we couldn't, but because the way is very precise. It's God's way. It's not living life my way, the way I want to. It's not living life the way other people are telling me to live. It is living in that very precise way of God saying, this is the way to achieve that kind of life. And you can listen to me and you can choose to go my way or you can go your own way and you go your own way, mark it down, you will suffer misery, pain, loss, and ruin if you go your way. I'll let you go because I don't make robots. You have been created with a free will. And any of us can choose to go our own way or someone else's way. But Jesus is saying, if you choose my way, it will be worth it. You will experience life at a level that very few other people experience it here on earth. And your life will be such that other people will want to know what makes you tick. How can you live that way? How can you be filled with joy every day when you look around at the way the world is today? How can you have such peace and and, and your mind be so tranquil 
and you be so calm and composed with what you're going through in life? How can you do that? See, obviously, when we live at a certain level as Christians, it opens up for us opportunities to be able to witness. That's the kind of living that God wants his followers to have. And so that's why back in chapter 4, then, if you turn back there to 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, this then is God's will. This is the way. And this isn't an exhaustive set of principles and precepts, but these certainly, if we focus on them, they're going to enable us to achieve living at that that level that Paul talks about. Because he says at the end of this, in this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders and you'll not be in need. You won't feel like you're ever missing out or missing something in your life. So what's the... What's the specifics of living this way? Notice verse 3. That you become holy. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean sinless. It simply means that you and I are willing to commit to the process of being like Jesus. Is that what our life now as a Christian is about? Is following Jesus Christ and letting God transform us from the inside out? And then he goes on to say, and this is that life too, that you keep away from sexual immorality. And that pretty much seals it for any kind of sexual immorality. And the words keep away doesn't mean get as close to sexual immorality as you can. It literally says get as far away from sexual immorality as you can. It's a word that speaks about keeping a far distance from it. (laughs) Don't even get close to it. Paul says, then he says that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor. Paul's basically saying, don't let your body and the desires of your body dictate to you, you dictate to it. And this isn't just in the area of sexual immorality. This is in all areas. Paul's just saying, you be the boss of your own body. Don't let your body boss you around. See, for a Christian, we should never get to a place in our life where we just say, well, that's just the way I am. People are just going to have to put up with me. I was born that way, and that's just it. Well, then you're just letting your body walk all over you, aren't you? See, God says, no, no, no. I've given you, we're going to get to this, I've given you the capacity to be able to say no to your body. To have some restraint, to have some self-control. You don't need to let your body dictate to you. Trust me. It's not easy, but every time I walk by a plate of brownies, (laughs) my goodness. And can I I stop, because I I, I meant to do this. I don't do this enough, but I just want to thank all of you. From Phil and Regina on down, all of you that bring stuff on Wednesday and Sunday, I really do. You in the hospitality area that, that volunteer to do that, you always put a nice table before us on Wednesday nights and, and on Sunday. And I, I appreciate it. I know I, I think other people do too, but I appreciate it very much. Yeah. But, but there does come to the point, even with good things like that, where, again, is our body going to say, yeah, okay, you know, or are we going to say, nope, 
No. That, that's what he means by learning to possess our own body. You see. Learning to be in control of what comes out of our mouth rather than just saying, well, that's just, I just say whatever I, what comes into my mind. Well, but that's not going to be a very attractive life, is it? If you just, if you and I just let whatever comes into our head fly out of our mouth, is that really going to be appealing to other people? Are they going to really want that kind of a life? Is that going to really show them that we who have God in us and we who have God in our life, that we could live any differently? Because one of the things then you begin to see here is the kind of life that Paul is saying we should live is a very distinct lifestyle. It's not like everybody else. It's got to be different. Why does it have to be different? Because if we're trying to show people that the reality of God in us makes a difference in our life, how can we do that if our life is no different than those people who don't have God in their life. How how can we make the argument that somehow God makes a difference if we don't show people that God makes a difference? Then he goes on to say, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. In this manner, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him. It means don't step over or step on people to get what you want. Don't overreach in order to have more in your life. So many even Christians or those who claim to be Christians don't mind stepping over others or stepping on others to get what they want. Paul says... That's no way to live. That's not the precise God way of living life. He says, because the Lord is the avenger of all in such cases. He will vindicate, as we also said earlier, and warned you solemnly. For God did not cause to impurity, but holiness. Again, to be more like Jesus. Consequently, the one who rejects this is not rejecting human authority, but God. Now, I'm going to come back to the end of that verse in just a moment, but let's move on. Notice verse 9. On the topic of brotherly love. And he's talked to Christians about this. He says, don't you realize as Christians that part of why he calls us together in local churches and as a body and a community of believers is because the way we treat each other and how other people observe how we treat each other should be an attraction that other people would want to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. If we truly loved each other as brothers and sisters and cherished each other the way that we should... Isn't that what Jesus said? By that kind of love that you as disciples of mine have for one another, that's how all men will know that you're my disciples? That will be the mark of distinction? Why are there not more people flocking to churches to be part of churches, but they'll flock to other organizations and stuff because they want to be part of something? They, 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 they want to be, they want to be in relationships with people. They, they want to do things with others. But why is it that more and more people aren't flocking to church? Because maybe we as part of the church aren't really attractive. And part of it may be because as they look at the way we talk about each other and the way we treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that has no attraction to them at all because they can get that at their workplace and in the world. But God calls us to be different. And that's why Paul says, on the topic of brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. It's the only time in the New Testament this word is used, where God is saying, I teach you how to love each other. I teach you. You don't even need a human teacher. I, God, teach you how to love each other. Are you listening to God? Are we listening to God? 
And then he goes on to say, and indeed you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Never be satisfied. Never become complacent. Never be content. Let your love for one another grow deeper and stronger every day. Cherish each other more. And then he says in verse 11, and aspire, it means to make it an aim of your life to lead a quiet life. It means don't live in such a way as a follower of Jesus Christ, at least if others know you're a follower of Jesus Christ, where your life is filled with drama all the time. Where your life is a, and a bad choice, but it's what, a soap opera. Paul's saying, it's not that we as Christians aren't going to have trials and afflictions and things come into our life, but even when they do, we should, we should handle them with faith. We, we should handle them with a courage and a calm composure that only comes from God. If every time something happens in our life, we just go, ah, I just fall apart. <laughs> then again, people on the outside are going to go, wow, what? They have God in their life? Okay. If, we, if we're living in such a way that we just go from one crisis in our life to another crisis, Paul's saying, is that really going to be an appealing, attractive life to people? Are they going to want that kind of life? I don't think so. So Paul says, let your life be quiet. Don't look for trouble. Look to stay out of trouble. And just be quiet. And then he says, oh, and, and attend to your own business. Because we can all be really good about getting in other people's business when our business needs taken care of. And Paul's saying, wouldn't it be better to focus on making sure that your life, again, is so appealing and attractive that you don't really even have time to, to always be up in other people's business? And I'm just going to make this comment. Oh, that social media and the problems that that causes. And then he says, oh, and learn as a Christian to work with your own hands. Don't be afraid of hard work. Develop a work ethic that even though, again, we live in a world where people are looking for something for nothing, where they're, they're living life and saying, I don't have to work for it. I just want it handed to me. God says, no, no, no. An attractive, appealing life. A life that says God is in it at the very center of it is a life that's willing to get out there and work hard every day for what we have and not look with an open hand saying, what can you give me? Paul said, that's living with honor. That's living like Jesus Christ. And that's then at the end when he says, in this way, you and I live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. One other big thing, though, that Paul brings up in this passage of Scripture that I want to end with today is this. So Paul said, this is preparing you to live in this way so that your life and my life can be lived in such a way that others desire what we have. 
And then Paul says, but we have to buy into it. It doesn't come from us living the way we want to or how other people want us to live. It comes very precisely and narrowly in just the way God says we should live. There's, there's, a, there's pre- precepts and principles, very precise, that God has given us in his word. And he says, if you live this way, then you will experience that kind of life. If you choose to go against what I say, that's your choice. But you'll bring pain on your life. You'll bring loss on your life. You'll bring misery to your own life. You'll experience a lot of pain by not doing it my way. Even though there's a very famous song, I did it my way. That is maybe one of the most unspiritual, ungodly, unbiblical songs that was ever written. Because that's not the way you and I achieve ultimate living The way we achieve ultimate life is by doing it God's way, not our way. And then we go, well, okay, God, you've given me this very precise way of living, but I can't do that. There's no way I can achieve that. And God goes, I know. That's why, notice at the end of verse 8, God says, I've given you my Holy Spirit. That's the key. We we can't achieve this kind of life on our own. That's why when we became a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and believed in Jesus by faith, God came to live inside of every one of us. And we don't have to try to achieve that kind of life in our own power, in our own strength, our own capability, our own enablement. The Holy Spirit lives within us every day and He empowers, He enables, He gives us the capacity to live at this level. The sad truth is so many Christians are living their life independently from the Holy Spirit who lives within them. That even though we possess the Holy Spirit, we're not living by the Holy Spirit. But yet God's word says. In fact, Jesus even said to his own followers. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the world. Witnessing a life that others want. How do we do that? By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Even loving like God loves. How do I do that, God? Through the Holy Spirit. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said in Romans 5, and God poured out his love upon us through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. That's why as a Christian, I can never say, God, I don't have the capacity within me to love other people. I I don't have it in me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ and cherish them. God would say, well, if you truly are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then yes, you do. You just need to learn to tap into that Holy Spirit and tap into the power within you and stop trying to live this life on your own in your own power and strength and begin to let the Holy Spirit of God live it through you. That's why he placed the Holy Spirit in us. So that we, because he knew we can't live this kind of life. We can't live the narrow way and choose the narrow way, the difficult way on our own. The only way we can live that way is through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what we need in the church today. Our spirit-filled believers who aren't trying to live life any longer on their own, but they're living it in the power and in the enablement of the Holy Spirit. Now, many of you today may go, this is communion Sunday, right? Yeah. So how does this message tie into the observation of, of the Lord's table? I think it ties in really well in this way. See, when Jesus came and died on the cross in order for us to have a personal relationship with God, to have salvation, to have forgiveness of sins, it wasn't just to have salvation. It was also to be able to live the life of Jesus. It was to be a follower of Jesus. And too often as Christians, when we think even about the Lord's table, it's only about salvation. God, thank you for my salvation because that's where it stops for many Christians. God, I thank you that my sins are forgiven. I thank you that I'm on my way to heaven. And then God says, but Jeff, what about following me? What about walking in the steps of Jesus every day? What about becoming more like Jesus? What about, what about your life looking like that? No, I don't want that, God. I'm going to do life on my own. I'm going to do life my way. So here's what I'd like us to think about as we go up to those, that table and we gather those elements and we come back to our seats today. Yes, we need to be reminded of what Jesus did for us to give us salvation. But I also want us to think today that when we gather these elements and when we eventually partake of them as a group of believers, are we also willing to live the life of Jesus? Is it enough for us that God has given us salvation? Or do we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Do we want his life? Do we really want to live in such a way that others around us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, they want what we've got? Because there's something so distinct and so different about the way we live life. Let's pray. God, thank you for not only giving us such a great salvation, but God, for allowing us to be able to experience abundant life. Life at the very highest level. And God, I confess that too often we are satisfied and we settle for much less in our life. But God, you call us to a higher way of living, a very different and distinct way from everyone else, a way that will stand out on its own. We won't need to draw attention to ourselves because our lifestyle alone will mark us out as different. And hopefully in such an attractive, appealing way that others will want the kind of life that we are living. God, may we commit to that today as we gather up these elements and realize that the blood and body of Jesus Christ was not just broken apart so that we might have a relationship with you and have forgiveness of sins, but so that, Lord, your very life 
through the Holy Spirit of God, might pulsate within our being each and every day while here on earth. Bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, you will be dismissed. We just ask that as you go back and gather the elements and come back to your seat, that you, you and God do whatever God's leading you to do. If, if you just want to be there and pray and have some time just alone with God sitting or standing or whatever, some of you may want to come back and join them. We're going to be singing a song that we've already sung today, a beautiful song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. If that's something you want to sing again to the Lord, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, you do. But just come back to your place and, and wait for everyone to be served. And then we'll, we'll take the Lord's table together as a community of believers.